Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Within the church, there are closed hand itch issues and open hand issues. The closed hand issues are the essentials of the Christian faith that are not up for discussion, that are not up for debate or argument or anything, and we will have unity around those essentials. The open hand issues are the non-essentials where Christians can disagree, still have strong convictions, but we can still be in unity with one another even though we don't agree on the non-essentials. So what's in the closed hand of the essentials of the Christian faith? Well, for starters, God created the heavens and the earth is essential. He created them male and female is essential. The Bible is the word of God, essential. We're not discussing that. We're not, we're not going to be arguing about that. We, we have unity. Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ, incarnation, legit, lived a perfect life. He's the great God-man. He was died on the cross for sinners, buried. Yes, he did rise again. This is essential. These are the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. If not, there is a forever hell. These are essentials. These are not up for debate. So on these issues, we have unity. We're not gonna be arguing among one another. These are the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Now on the non-essentials of the Christian faith. I want you to understand these open-handed issues do not mean unimportant. Doesn't mean that you can't have strong convictions on these things, but these are things that we have liberty in and yet we will not divide over. For example, we're not gonna divide over which translation of the Bible is the one to hold to. Some of you have King James open in front of you right now. Some of you have ESV, NAS, NIV. We're not gonna divide over that, Okay. We're not gonna divide over the issue of alcohol. Some of you choose to drink, you have freedom in Christ to this. Some choose not to, we're not gonna divide over that. We're not gonna divide over a lot of things. And some of the more things we're not gonna divide over is that we're not gonna divide over worship styles. If you do not like the worship style on a Sunday morning, that's okay, we are not worshiping you. We're not gonna divide over certain forms of entertainment. We're not gonna divide over, and this is not an issue for you, but we're not gonna divide over how we're gonna school our children, homeschool, public school, we're not gonna divide over that. We're not gonna divide over whether people can get tattoos or not, whether guys can have long hair, or what what kind of jewelry you can and cannot wear, what you can wear or not wear in dressing for church, what the pastor can wear or not wear for dressing for church. We're not gonna divide over these non-essentials. We can have convictions and strong opinions, but we're not going to divide. It's what we were trying to say and what we, that's in our, in our founding documents. It's what we hold dear to us is a statement that goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, that would be the close to him, unity. Non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. 
Now you may say, this is not an issue for our church. Our church, we, we got it right. Let's flash back to about a year or two ago where many people were having such strong convictions on mask, no mask, get the shot, no shot. We should meet as a church. We should not meet as a church. That's not too far in the rearview mirror. And we kind of handled that well, but some days and some weeks, not so well. So we need this. And you say, well, yeah, but why do we need it going forward? Because an election is coming up. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm just saying, all right? So we need this. Don't say this is not for our church. It's for other churches. No, this is for our church. So as we look at Romans 14, that's where we're gonna be at today as the early church had to learn to live and love with one another, especially on these open-handed issues. Let me set the context for you, okay? So you got the Roman church in Rome, made up of Gentiles and Jews who believed in Jesus. Some from the Jewish background who got saved out of Judaism believed that they should hold to the Old Testament teachings concerning food and drink. Specifically, in their Roman pagan environment, they believed that they shouldn't eat the meat because they weren't sure if it was kosher or prepared in line with Old Testament laws. Nor did they drink the wine because they weren't sure if that wine was connected to an idol in the pagan culture. In addition to food and drink among these Christian Jews that believed in Jesus was the issue of holy days. In their mind, uh, they held a certain Old Testament laws uh, as a matter of conscience and conviction on the Sabbath and special holy days. That's the Jewish believers. So the issue is food, drink, special days. Now, the Gentiles did not come out of that environment. They were saved from a pagan lifestyle. They have no such convictions of conscience. So to them, as Jesus declared all foods clean, they were free to eat meat and drink wine. In addition, the laws of the Old Testament, details of the Sabbath, we are fulfilled in Christ. Now the observance of the Lord's day is on the day we celebrate the resurrection or there can be other special days where they can meet and worship the Lord. There was no decree. So here's the deal. Paul's on the side of the Gentiles, free to eat and drink whatever you want, okay? Free to celebrate on the day you celebrate. But he wanted them to deal with a certain problem in the church of the Jews looking down on the Gentiles for eating and drinking and the Gentiles looking down on the Jews for not eating and drinking. He's like, now let's talk about this, how we can have unity within the church over non-essential issues. So let's do it. Let's look at the tension. Verse one, Romans 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. 
Now, the person who is weak in faith eats only vegetables. Does not mean that vegetarians are weak in faith. It's not talking about that. It's talking about maybe the meat was sacrificed to idols or not prepared in line with Old Testament regulations. So, so believers who come out of Judaism are called weak in faith because it's almost as if their faith is stuck. They're adhering to some Old Testament regulations. They feel that something is wrong that's not decreed as wrong. You're free to eat. But it goes against their conscience to eat meat because it might be ritually unclean. So in their mind, they abstained so they wouldn't violate their conscience. They're not to be looked down upon or despised by the Gentiles who are free to eat whatever. Now, some of you may, may feel this way about alcohol. You got saved maybe out of a, a party lifestyle or some type of way you're in a context when you see alcohol, you associate it with sin in the world. And so though you may intellectually agree that the Bible does not prohibit you from drinking, it prohibits drunkenness. So though you agree that's there, for you, there's too much association from your past that you choose as a matter of conviction not to drink, okay? So, so far, so good, all right? So the Jews who abstain from eating and drinking are not to look down on the Gentiles who eat and drink. Look at verse four. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So God is the master and judge, and he has welcomed the Gentiles who eat, so do not judge them. They have different convictions, not only on food, but also special days. Look at verse five. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. This is concerning the special days, the special holy days, and especially the Sabbath. The Jews believers felt it was vital to observe the holy days and the ritual observance of the Sabbath. And it was for, crucial for the Gentiles, of course, to be in community and celebrate and worship with the church. But they didn't have the conviction that there was only a certain day of the week. So Paul has a position. And in Paul's mind, all foods are clean. Anything can be eaten. And, and special days are no longer binding, fulfilled in Christ. But he wants people to be free to hold their own convictions. So on these open-handed issues, the issue is going to be what is your heart motive in choosing to practice them or not to practice them? And Paul wants to get at the heart. Look at verse six. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Paul's getting right at the heart. The heart motive is to seek to glorify the Lord and submit to him in whatever you do. 
So he's Lord of all, and we are to submit to him. And so if you eat, you eat in honor to the Lord and be thankful. The same goes for the person, the Jew, who chooses to abstain. He abstains for the honor of the Lord and is thankful. This is a very good ongoing principle and focus of the Christian life. Do everything for the glory of God. I love that. Just do everything for the glory of God. And that different people can have different opinions, convictions on non-essentials, and both of them can be glorifying God. These are not convictions on moral absolutes of the word of God, these closed-hand issues, but convictions on non-essential matters, open-handed issues. The right motive is what matters in doing it or not doing it. That's why we have to be very careful in judging one another who choose to do these open-handed issues different than we do. Look at verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you guard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So not only do we wanna make sure that we have the right heart and disposition in all that we do, but we also wanna have the right heart in allowing our brother or sister to do what they choose to do in glorifying God. I'm just gonna kind of bring it into your, um, this reality. In the past, this, this would be something the church used to struggle with, and, and it's something called fundamentalism. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about, fundamentalism. Some of you have grown up in churches um, where you've been taught it's a sin to dance, okay? And some of you are really bad dancers. You shouldn't be dancing anyway, but <laughs> it's a sin to dance, right? It's a sin to drink alcohol. It's a sin to play cards, yeah? It's a sin if you don't dress up for church, right? Some of you, this is, these are the things that, that you have grown up on. It's a sin to listen to secular music. It's a sin to have drums in church. I mean, these are things that, a fundamentalism that, that you have grown up. And this is, what, this is what a lot of times you say, if you're gonna be a Christian, you won't drink, you'll dress up for church, you won't dance, and you won't play cards. And these are the things that a certain generation has said, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. And then you had kids. And they see what the fundamentalism has been saying. So that's what it means to be Christian. And your kids are like, oh, I don't see that in the word, okay? And so this is what has happened. And my last church was mainly college students and those in their 20s. And so what's happening is what has been described as reverse fundamentalism. There's this guy named Jefferson Bethke. He, he wrote this book called Jesus is Greater Than Religion. And this is what he says about reverse fundamentalism. And this is, this is what I saw totally in my last church, okay? So you have the old generation that says, if you want to be a Christian, don't drink beer. Younger generation is like, we are definitely drinking beer. No joke. My last church, not only are they drinking beer, they're brewing beer. They're all about beer. They're not getting drunk, but they're saying, if you want to be a Christian, you, you drink beer. That's just what you do. And then the older generation says, now, if you are a Christian, you'll dress up for church. Younger generation, we are definitely not dressing up for church. So they come at wherever they want. Ripped jeans, t-shirts, you, you see, they are reacting 
against the older generation who said, if you want to be a Christian, this is what the word says when it doesn't say that. And so they're reacting and say, well, if you want to be a Christian, this is what it's going to look like. And, and they're both wrong. They both are not dealing with the heart. They're, they're, they're thinking, I'm going to do this to spite you. I'm going to do this because this is the way it's always been done. And, and you're not dealing with the heart. And so what you're doing, you're, you're lobbing bombs from one generation to the next and judging and judging and judging. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be unified. And here we have Paul with this pursuit of unity as he finishes up in verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in the way of a brother. Now he's specifically addressing the Gentiles here in relation to the Jews. He says, stop judging the Jews, stop tripping them up. They're your brothers and sisters. There should be no room for you to judge them on these non-essential open-handed matters. Paul continues, verse 14. Paul says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Paul's like, I, I agree with you Gentiles. There's no unclean food. There's no unclean drink, but some of the Jews have a stuck faith. And so for them, it's unclean. So this is not a matter of who's right or who's wrong or what freedom you may have or what freedom you don't have. It all comes down to love. Verse 15, for if because of food, your brother is hurt, you no longer are walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food for him for whom Christ died. So if, if a Jewish believer sees a Gentile believer eating and drinking, then he may cross the line, violate his conscience, and partake and be tripped up. Christ died for them, so don't mess with them. Don't mess with their conscience. So what this is saying is we want to find ways to bring us all together, and we want to eliminate barriers that would keep us apart. So if you're spiritually speaking, like if you have a, a friend who has past background struggling with alcohol and you're going to go out with them, you can set that aside. You don't have to make that part of your meeting. Set it aside in love. Just like Paul is saying, okay, Gentiles, you can set that aside. You don't need to flaunt that freedom in front of the Jews, believers, because they're your brother and sister in Christ. Eliminate those things that keep us apart. He continues, verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So do not make your Christian life all about what you eat or drink or don't eat or don't drink. Don't make your Christian life all about non-essential matters. And, and maybe you, you don't do this, but I, but I come from a context where some people do this with regard to children's schooling. They say, if you are a Christian, you will for sure 100% homeschool your children. And if you don't homeschool your children, I am going to judge you. 
And that can really be like a, a badge of honor in some churches, the way you school your children. The same thing can happen with worship styles. You can say, all right, if you are a legit Christian church, you will not do contemporary music ever. It should be only hymns and the hymns that I like. And so that's, and it's, but, it, but it's not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be living in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean, okay, I'll tolerate you or I'll put up with you. No, we are to love one another and the Lord. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Once again, Paul affirms food and drink are ritually clean, but that's not the issue. It's not an issue of right and wrong or these non-essential matters or an issue of your freedom, but it comes down to love. And the way that you love is not making another brother or sister stumble. So it's a good thing. Don't eat and drink or do anything that would trip up your brother or sister. Now, does this mean that you can't do it ever at all? Not at all. Look at verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So that the Gentiles could enjoy meat and drink all they wanted in private, they could go out with other Gentiles who had no issues with the meat and drink and they could, could feast. But the Gentiles were not to bring wine and big hunks of meat to the church potluck. It wasn't supposed to happen because out of love for their brothers, they're gonna restrain their freedom for those who have a stuck faith so that everybody can be included together. Verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. So for the Jews, Jewish believers, if they eat and drink the wine, then it'd be a sin for them because they'd be violating their conscience. They couldn't do it from a position of faith and therefore it was sin. And this goes back once again to the motive of everything you do. If your conscience is troubled drinking, don't do it. If it is troubled working on Sunday, don't do it. If it's troubled going to the movies, don't do it. If you can't do what you do for the glory of God, then it is good to abstain. Once again, the heart of the matter. And essentials, unity. And non-essentials, liberty. And all things, charity. I really want you to get this. Okay, because most of the complaints we have in church are over non-essentials. And most of the fighting among one another is over non-essentials. I, I, I would even wish more, there would be more discussion and complaints about that which is in the closed hand. Can we say, no, here's the word of God for sure. You're wrong, okay? But most of the arguing complaining is over the non-essentials, the preferences, so we need to be very careful on what we're doing from our hearts and the way we love and live with one another and the different convictions that we hold so we can have unity within the body of Christ. And so I'll leave you with a, a, a spat 
that happened back in the day between two preachers. Two preachers you may have heard of. One was the famous Charles Spurgeon and the other was Joseph Parker. And Spurgeon and Parker, they used to change churches and pulpits. They would like share, you come preach at my church, I preach at your church. And then they had a fight or a spat over non-essential matters. You see, Parker went to the theater and Spurgeon judged him and said, you shouldn't be doing that. And they had this riff and this split. Spurgeon looked down on Parker for doing that and so they split, no longer share pulpits. But Spurgeon tended to overlook one of his issues. He loved to smoke cigars. And he was questioned about this in the press, like, you know, Spurgeon, you're, you're judging him for going to the theater, but you smoke cigars all the time. And he's like, I do not smoke cigars in excess. And they asked him, what do you mean by excess? He says, I never smoke more than two at one time. <laughs> you see, that's a snarky attitude, right? That's like, yeah, that keeps you apart. But then one day, Spurgeon's walking through town, and he sees a sign as come smoke the same cigars that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And he felt convicted. And he gave it up. He didn't want to put a stumbling block in the way of anyone. And that's where we want to be, my brothers and sisters, whether it's the stuff we deal with back in the day in COVID, upcoming elections, and all the bombs being lobbed back and forth. We don't want to be like the world. We want to have unity. And once again, we say, in essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.